Hi, Fight For You podcast is about our scariest thoughts, memories, and experiences. Every other week, I'm speaking with a new guest. These stories are rooted in pain, love, grief, heartache, and most of all, how they've overcome their biggest challenges. Fight For You exposes vulnerability, and you can have the chance to share your story too. Reach out anytime, and remember, you are not alone. Fight for you. Let's break the stigma. Hi, I'm your host, Lily, and today's story is about Natalie. Natalie is a junior at Chapman University, and she is studying psychology and sociology. Natalie has not had an easy journey, yet she is learning daily and is so proud to be here to live on, to share her story, as well as Max's. Natalie has been dealing with depression and anxiety since she was in eighth grade. She went to the Center for Discovery for the first time in 2014, where she met Max. Max and Natalie had an instant connection. They were similar and shared the same thoughts and feelings. Their connection grew stronger, and each day, they fought their battles together. Max lost his battle in 2015. Natalie returned to the Center for Discovery after his passing. Natalie attended four different high schools before she graduated. Then, Natalie went off to college at Chapman University. Keep listening to hear more about Natalie's journey. Before the episode continues, this is a disclaimer. This episode contains talk about depression, suicide, anxiety, and eating disorders. Please do not harm yourself by listening to this. You are not alone. Please listen at your own will. Natalie is joining me here today from California. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Lily? I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really glad that you can be here. Of course. I'm glad too. Yeah, so should we just get right into it? Yes, let's dive right in. Okay, let's do it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your childhood and how it has affected who you are today? Sure. So before I speak on this, I want to acknowledge that I did not have a bad childhood by any means, and my parents are incredible people. I grew up in a family with really high expectations, though, so everyone is very successful and driven for the most part. And from a young age, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be perfect. My mom is a Stanford grad, and my father is a very successful businessman and has always been understood that my sister and I were expected to do very well. I took every advanced course possible since second grade. I was involved in every extracurricular. I had tons of friends from all walks of life, but I was always an anxious child that had compulsions and impulses from a very young age. People in my family also struggle with mental illness and this definitely tainted me and affected how I responded to things. My mother and her mother and my father and his mother have all dealt with depression. I am sure it goes further back in the gene pool, but I have no way to know. Being raised in a household with unhappy parents, even if they try to hide it from you, affects your child immensely. They always say little people, little problems, and big people, bigger problems. This rang true for me because I did not have huge issues to deal with at a young age, so my mental illness did not become apparent until I was older and I began going through harder things. I still have to talk myself down when I get really worked up and caught up in the idea of being perfect. I still have a huge amount of anxiety about disappointing my parents, which has definitely stemmed from my childhood experiences. Yeah, so you you were an excelled child, and now you're at Chapman, correct? Yes, yes I am. (laughs) You've come very far. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So what age did you start to see yourself really struggle with your mental health? Um, as I just mentioned, I was a very anxious child, but it came to a head, I think, around puberty. And also, I would say, like, end of middle school, so, like, eighth grade, beginning of high school. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what, there wasn't, like, a certain experience that triggered this. It was kind of just, you always were just more... Um, I think it was a number of things, like, societal pressure, pressure at school, because kids can be super mean, especially in middle school. But I also went through a sexual assault before high school that I did not speak on for a period of time. Um, I think I didn't speak on it because I also got molested by a classmate in middle school. And when I finally told somebody that that was happening, um, all of his friends made fun of me and hated me for getting him suspended from school. Um, And 
it definitely reaffirmed that I shouldn't talk on those things. Um, he also came back to the school after his suspension and continued to harass me, which led me to kind of believe at that age, you know, that no matter what I did, I could not control what other people did to me and that it was something to be ashamed of and not spoken about. So these all kind of contributed to this downward spiral um, and having a predisposition for mental illness yeah, definitely yeah. contributed to that. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really hard things to go through at, at such a young age and like even coming out about it and then feeling like you sh you can't and that you're going to be penalized for doing that is terrible. No one should ever yeah. feel that way. And it's, it's how people feel because of society and how other people's experiences like yours um, and being harassed after doing it and like feeling that you are being penalized because you were talking about it makes people be like, oh, well, if I do this, then what's going to happen? Absolutely. That's a huge problem within our society for girls and women and even guys too, you know, people that go through any type of sexual harassment or assault, it's incredibly difficult to come out. And there's always this dooming question, like, why didn't she talk about it sooner? She's lying. And, you know, that's really far from the truth. People don't talk about it because of the responses that they get. Yeah. And I totally can agree with that. Like, even with the podcast, I was like, what are people going to think? Like, are people going to be like, oh, I didn't know she did this. She's lying. Or like, I don't know, she went through this, which is just a crazy response because whatever it is, a podcast, sexual harassment, sexual assault, all of that, you, there's always going to be someone who doesn't believe it and someone who wants to come for your success mm -hmm. or for your... Absolutely. There's such a stigma surrounding these things, mental health, mental illness, you know, struggles that we go through. It's like we are supposed to pretend that we're perfect, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's... <laughs> crazy um so what are your specific diagnoses when it comes to mental health <laughs> that's a tough one because I have been diagnosed with array of things but I have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder clinical depression anorexia nervosa post-traumatic stress disorder and borderline personality disorder that does not mean I currently struggle with these or that these are all correct diagnoses sometimes I still wonder exactly what it is that I struggle with but it is important to not feel defined by a label or a diagnosis. Um, diagnoses can help professionals decide which way they want to treat you, but they are not always perfect or right since the person diagnosing you is a human and not everyone fits into the same criteria. So currently I feel that I struggle mostly with my anxiety and bouts of depression. Okay, yeah, and that's a great thing for people listening to remember that um, it's not always correct or it's not, you're not always going to deal with it for, for forever because you just Absolutely. Had you just gave a array of diagnosis and you said you're not dealing with all of them right now, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And like, congrats. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you. They, it's a good thing to remember. Like those do not define you. Um, you're still human. Like you have, you may have these, but like for you, you're at Chapman and you're succeeding and you're doing amazing and you're living your life. And it's a really hard thing for some people to get past that. Like, this label is not actually define you and define everything that you do. You may have anxiety, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you have, you can't go out of your house. Like, I mean, definitely. So crazy, yeah. And that's a great thing to remember. Yes. They should not limit you. You know, they are helpful for certain reasons, but they can also be very damaging, especially when you're young and you have no idea who you are. Um, it can kind of become like an identity identification for you. And that's not always a good thing. You know, sometimes it's, can be very detrimental if you start to like you know conform to a label or conform to a diagnosis because you're told that's who you are yeah that's such a good thing to remember um how did you come to find the center for discovery so i found that residential treatment through one of my therapists she had admitted me into the mental hospital several times just for various things and her worrying about my safety um when i was really going through it and she, it just wasn't working. I was doing all kinds of therapy and it just wasn't really sticking. So she suggested the Center for Discovery because her sister had actually gone there and she said it had saved her sister's life. So she suggested it to my parents and I. Okay. And how was your parents' reaction when? They were definitely freaked. Um, it wasn't really something that people talk about or know about. You know, as we spoke about it to more people, we realized more people knew about it or knew someone that had gone through it. But initially, it was just really scary for them to think about being away from me from a long period of time and just dropping me off somewhere with people I didn't know. Um, but they were also so worried about me and, like, would do anything to help me that 
they were willing to try it and they also just I think it was a sense of relief for them to have me somewhere that I could be safe you know um because it was a lot of pressure for them to feel like they had to you know watch me and be around me 24 7 you know they have lives and jobs and work and things and I think it was really hard on them but I think it was also like there was a great sense of relief when they were able to bring me there and hope that you know things would change absolutely um so we mentioned earlier that you met Max when you were there for the first time um what was your first thought when you met Max um I definitely um was immediately interested (laughs) (laughs) not only was he super cute but he was very mysterious to me because he kept to himself and he was always writing his journal he didn't want to talk to anyone um so I made it my mission to get to know him and to kind of crack that hard exterior that he had it took me like I would say maybe a couple days or like a week and I just made it my mission to like get to know him um and once I broke into that like hard shell um it was a whirlwind um we definitely fell for each other super hard and fast and I'm sure that can be contributed to the mental place that we were in and you know the things that we were going through and then you know being a hormonal teenager but it was definitely like me being interested and then all of a sudden it was just like this whirlwind yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> what type of kids were at the center for discovery, and how can you be admitted? So, there are all kinds of issue, issues and struggles that can get you admitted, um, from behavioral to emotional issues. Um, but there's like the most common would be anger issues, um, criminal conduct behavior, mental illness, trauma, substance abuse, eating disorders, so on. So there's a wide range of things. Um, There are a lot of different types of kids there. Um, So yeah, it was any number of things that affect your day-to-day life. Okay. And then how did you feel when you first got there? Was it easy to make friends and get along with the staff? That is a good question. Um, I was definitely in shock at first. I was super anxious. I couldn't believe that my parents had brought me there and left me. Um, I was super worried about who my roommate was going to be, if I was going to get along with them. I had a room in isolation for the first couple nights, which is mandatory just to like get you acclimated, make sure you're not like sick or anything like that. And I remember it was taking forever for me to fall asleep the first night and I was like super anxious and there was a kid outside my door having a mental breakdown who was like screaming outside my door. And this actually happened quite often when I was there. So I got used to it and all the other kids that just had to like leave the room and the staff would say, um, uh, but if they couldn't calm the, to- the child down completely, sometimes they would have to take them to their emergency room. And if kids ran away, they had to call cops because in California, the staff are not allowed to touch the patients unless they're harming themselves or others. So if you run away, in essence, they couldn't touch you. They could just like, normally they would just follow the kids around if they could, and then they would have to call the cops. Um, it wasn't in the best area though, so I would always warn the new kids who talked about running away that they definitely shouldn't because I actually knew a girl that ran away and got raped by some gang members in a nearby area. So it was really scary and of course like people there already have these issues, right? And so just adding to that, I would just always encourage the new clients to not leave. Um, But I also made friends with pretty much everybody. Um, There were all different kinds of kids and I became super close to the staff as well. I, you know, had a really good relationship with most of them, and overall, they became like family to me, even no matter how much they annoyed me spending every single day with them, I am still even in contact with some of my friends um, from that time period in my life, and I still have them on social media, and we still communicate, so I definitely formed like some really, really strong bonds when I was there. That's awesome. So, um, what was an average day at um, CFD? What did it look like? Oh my gosh. Okay. So we did everything (laughs) together. Everything was very regimented and scheduled, which was really good for kids struggling, you know, to have a really regimented schedule. Um, So when we woke up, we showered, we ate, everything was done together. But in the morning we had to get up at 8 a.m. and eat a protein bar and go to the gym, or they would take us to the park to do a workout. They were pretty intense workouts. Um, And if you were on restriction, meaning you couldn't leave the house, they would have you do exercise videos at the house. So you had to exercise no matter what. Um, because it's good for your brain and your health and everything. So that was like a really big part of, we all had to exercise in the mornings. 
Um, and then we would come back, shower, and eat breakfast. And then we had groups all day. Groups were different all the time. Um, every day they kind of changed around. Some were coping skills groups. Some were about self-esteem, body image. We had music therapy, horse therapy once a week. Um, meals were all like always at the same time. And there was a chef there who made our food. And it was actually pretty good. Um, we also had our own individual therapist that we saw a couple times a week. But the floor staff is really who we were with 24-7. So we were also assigned to a specific floor staff that was like the person we had to check in with every day and they would take us on walks or into a separate room to kind of just, you know, get an idea of where we were at. Although um, there was staff there 24-7 to talk no matter the time of day. Every night we had an assignment we had to read to everyone and they varied. Some would be write 25 nice things about yourself. Others would be to tell a story from your past. Others would be a list of things you wanted to work on or things that you plan to do to stay healthy when you got out. We had meditation or mindfulness every night to calm down before bed. There was always a nurse there and meds were given at the same time every day. Um, bedtime was strict, but if you needed to talk in the middle of the night, there was staff. They always came in our rooms every 15 minutes to check on us and make sure we weren't in someone else's room. We were only allowed to be in rooms to sleep. So we were hardly ever in our rooms. I was only in my room one time for a nap when I had a really intense therapy program and my therapist literally ordered for me to take a nap like a prescription. <laughs> um, so yeah, and each person had two or one to two roommates, it depended. Um, we also had levels of treatment to complete. And then we had field trips on the weekends, like places to like the aquarium or different places, a museum, if you had those privileges. So basically there was a phase program there. So it was phase one, two, three, and four. So when you arrive, you're not on a phase, basically phase zero. And you have to complete certain treatment goals and behave correctly in order to move on to the next hit phase. So each phase allowed more privileges, like getting an iPod or being able to go and eat out with your family if they visited. Most kids got to phase two or three. I ended up getting to phase four my second time there because I was, and I was able to go on my birthday and I was able to help staff facilitate the groups. Um, but if you misbehaved or engaged in an unhealthy behavior, would get phase dropped or frozen, meaning you could not leave the house and got your privileges taken away. Wow. So there is a strict schedule. Um, everything was kind of the same, except changed a little bit day to day. Um, yeah, it was very scheduled, but that was honestly very good for me. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, wow. That's, that's crazy. Um, so we mentioned that you met Max there um, the first time, and you guys had an instant connection. What was it like to relate to someone so similar to yourself? It was overwhelming, but it was very enticing. Um, I've never met anybody, let alone a boy, who I felt so instantly close to. Um, it was powerful to find someone who understood my pain and felt their own too. Um, it was, it was hard. Sorry, my cat. <laughs> hey, excuse me. Um, it was. <laughs> It was hard though because I just really wanted to fix him and, and it was so scary trying to be there for someone else when you really need to be there for yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So how was it dating someone with a severe mental illness? It was honestly terrifying. Um, Max was very up and down, so he was either manic and happy or super depressed. One day he would be super happy and in love with life and excited for the future and the next day he'd be crying nonstop, talking about how he wanted to die. It is so hard to be there for someone when they're going through that, especially when you are young and trying to figure out your own demons. But I loved Max immensely and he was my first love and I will never forget that. And I would literally do it all over again if I could. I still don't think I have met anybody in this world who loves me the way that Max did. Yeah. Yeah, your guys' connection was... Crazy, and I think everyone who knew you guys then um, could see it just by, like, seeing you guys together, which is such yeah. an amazing thing to just, like, look at two people and be like, yeah, they're so in love, and they're so happy. <laughs> no, Definitely. It looks like you guys are so happy, there might be stuff on the inside. Um, Absolutely. You and Max dated for several months before he passed away. Your life obviously changed drastically. Um, what were some ways that you were affected directly oh my gosh honestly there are so many ways I was affected honestly too many to recall but as I mentioned he loved me so, so fiercely and I'll never forget that 
But as I said, being with someone who's struggling is so difficult. I was struggling too. And when I left Center for Discovery, I was ready to make changes. But I honestly don't think Max was quite there yet. Thankfully, my parents were very supportive at first of our relationship. And they let me fly to the Bay Area to visit him a couple times. He was amazing. He'd always bring me coffee and flowers every morning. Took me all over the city to all his favorite spots. And just showered me with love. And his family was so amazing. Um, it was heartbreaking seeing them try to help him and keep, and he was just spiraling downward. No matter how much they did, they had tried everything. Um, and I hated being 500 miles away from him. I had to text his mom and sisters pretty often when I was worried about his safety. It taught me so much about mental illness and how to be there for someone struggling. It would not be, I would not be who I am today um, if I hadn't have seen Max through those things. It was traumatizing in the end, of course, when he did take his life on January 10th. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and so with the effect of Max's um, passing, you missed six months of school and attended four different high schools. How did this affect your journey to college and where you are today at Chapman and your junior? Yes. Um, switching around schools was tough, but it also made me quite resilient, I feel like, and adaptable to change. Um, I started off the big high school where all my friends went like the traditional, I guess, normal path. And then I went on to independent study. So I was like at home teaching myself. And then I went back to the big high school and then to a private school and then to a charter school. So I spent the most amount of time at the charter school, which was two years, my junior and senior year. Missing that huge chunk of school for treatment was overwhelming, but necessary. I had Fs when I left the big high school because I just stopped going, not because I was a bad student. So I had to go to a private school over the summer to redo my classes and salvage my grades. It was an hour or more away from my house and it was one-on-one teaching so I could set up my schedule to fit my needs, thankfully. So I went just a couple days a week. Um, Those teachers literally saved me and helped me turn my Fs into A's. After that, I had to find someone closer to home to finish school. So I ended up at this really small charter school in my town that I didn't know much about. There were 29 kids in my graduating class, so it was really small, and there were a lot of unique students that went there. There was a farm on the half of the campus where the middle school was, and it was a very different school experience than most get, Um, but I'm super thankful for that school and for graduating from there and for making the friends that I did. One of that girls at the school actually ended up taking her life when I was there, so I felt like I was truly meant to be there so that I could help everyone get through that. All of these schools really contributed to my story when applying to colleges. I had to explain why I switched schools so many times. And um, I think that contributed to how I got into Chapman. Um, I never expected to go to college when I was in the thick of high school and my personal struggles. So being at school now is a major accomplishment for me and I'm super proud of myself. Um, But I think that it really helped show Chapman that I'm a resilient and strong person. And I think that's really important when you're applying to colleges is yes, they do care about grades and test scores to a point but they also care about what kind of kids they're admitting if this kid is resilient if this kid is going to survive college so I think that really helped um show them that I am a survivor and that you know I could you know fit in wherever they put me so yeah and congratulations again like it is amazing how far you've come to where you are thank you and like you can just see that when you look at you that you're just like such a strong person who can literally get through anything like you said you're a survivor um which is so amazing and so you mentioned the loss of max had affected many things how did this personally affect your relationship with your parents oh boy um it was the hardest thing that i've ever gone through obviously and it was also the hardest thing that i've ever that was put onto my relationship with them Um, As I mentioned earlier, they supported me at the beginning of my relationship in dating him, but once they saw that he was really spiraling downwards, they were super worried about me and um, became crazy in trying to stop me from speaking to him. So a few weeks before his death, they took away all my means of communicating with him, and my dad would literally stay home from work just to make sure I couldn't answer the phone or use our family computer to talk to him. This infuriated me, of course, and it got even worse when he passed. I blamed them for keeping me from him when he needed me the most. I know they were doing what they thought was best for me now, but at the time it was so horrible and heartbreaking. I was actually in the Bay Area the day that he passed away at my grandfather's funeral. And that day before he passed, he was supposed to be leaving for Utah for six months um, because he was just out of control. And my parents would not let me even say goodbye to him on the phone for a second. Um, So this is something that I'm still working on forgiving them for. Um, I refused to talk to my parents for a while 
um, and I spent weeks, like, just screaming and crying in my room, um, until they ended up sending me back to Center for Discovery. Oh, wow, that is crazy. I didn't, I actually did not know that, that they wouldn't let you talk to him. Yes, Uh, it was very, very bad. Yeah, so how was your second time at CFD different than the first? Like, you just mentioned they sent you back. Um, how was it different? Um, it was different because I feel like I was truly at my rock bottom the second time. The first time I was there, I was doing mostly what I was supposed to do, but it was more for Max and my relationship and not necessarily for myself. So going back was hard because of all the memories I had there with him, but it was really therapeutic to be with my therapist and the staff who knew Max and I. They had heard he passed, but when I showed up again and confirmed it for them, they were horrified. The staff closest to us spent nights crying with me and helping me move through my grief. Everybody was broken heart was brokenhearted about it. It was relieving to be around people who I felt understood me. One of Max's childhood friends, actually, Joelle, and then a group of girls from his temple would send me letters while I was there, and it made it a little easier. To this day, I am very close to Joelle, who I met at his funeral, and I had put in the work the first time, but the second time, I was determined to come out even better because I understood the seriousness of what could happen if I didn't. After seeing several hundred, hundred people at Max's funeral and feeling the heartbreak, I knew that I had to change. Wow. Yeah. That, um, you just had a spark in you that was like, I don't want to be like this. I want to live on and share your story and Max's story. And yes, uh, you can see now that that has pushed you and you're doing, you mean you're doing good. Um, yes. Better than you were. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm sure you can thank, um, Center for Discovery for a lot of that. Absolutely. I will always have an immense gratitude for for everyone, the staff and the program and just the whole entire place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you've obviously grown so much um, since the loss of Max, but what were some specific ways that you've really grown and changed? Honestly, I'm a completely different person. Um, I like who I am so much better now. Um, I used to care about stupid things that teenagers care about, worry about things that didn't matter, but his death gave me the biggest reality check of my life and seeing what truly matters. I value my relationships and myself more than I ever did before. I was determined to turn my pain into something bigger than me. It did not happen overnight, though. I don't want it to seem like this was easy. Um, It took me so long to come out of a deep depression after he passed and like so long for me to really want my life to be different. I knew it had to be, but it took me a while to really start to change. Um, I am more compassionate, kind, forgiving, and loving than I ever was before. I wasn't a horrible person before, but I just feel like I've become so much softer and just different. Um, And I just realized that the world, you know, needed more people like that. Um, And I do my best to honor him every single day, and I make, try to make choices that are healthy since you know he's not here to see how beautiful life can actually be yeah that's an amazing message and like such a strong piece of advice that like is just can be taken so far um yeah yeah um so you mentioned to me that you wanted to go into social work which is Mm -hmm. incredible um do you think that your experiences or how have any of your experiences led to the reason why you want to go into social work Um, It absolutely is all connected. Um, I thought psych was interesting before, but once he passed away and after all the treatment I went through, I realized going into the field was truly my calling and I can't see myself literally doing anything else. Um, When you go through things like what I have been through, you have to find some way to make it worth it all for yourself. And for me, that is going into a field and evoking change. Even if I only change a couple of lives, that's a huge blessing to me and something I want to give back. Um, there are so many people struggling in this world, you know, I, especially now with this pandemic and everything that's been going on and people need someone to just be there for them and to believe in them and to push them. And that is what motivates me every single day. Yeah. And that's, that's a great message. And so many people want to give back, um, which is such a positive thing, obviously, like you take your experiences and what you've learned from them and you run with it and, um, absolutely change now and make change in other people's lives because you've been in a position where a lot of people that are younger than you too are dealing with and you know that like it's possible because you've lived it to get out and like 
you can survive and you can get through it, which is such an amazing message because you are walking proof of that, that you can yes. do it and you can get out of it no matter your experiences and like what you've been through. Yes, absolutely. What do you think was the most beneficial lesson you learned while you were at the Center for Discovery? Um, it sounds really cliche, but I would just, I think it's just to love myself. Um, at the end of the day, the only person that we have is ourselves. I realized I could love somebody with my whole being, but if I didn't have love for myself, I had nothing. My therapist once described to me that we're all like a bucket full of water. And if I keep giving my water to others, not filling my own bucket, that I'd run myself dry. If you don't love and respect yourself, life means nothing and accomplishments mean nothing and relationships mean nothing. We can only truly and healthily love others if we first love and value ourselves. And giving yourself forgiveness is super important because we're human and we're flawed and feelings are valid, but they don't define you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is such, I mean, it's not cliche. It's such a good piece of advice <laughs> people take. And like, we sometimes don't run with it, but like that piece of advice is such a good thing to remember, especially like the bucket. I love that. I've never heard yeah. that. Um, and like, I need to remember that too myself. Yes, you do. Um, that's such a good thing to remember because even me, I love to like, put everything yes everyone knows that about me I'm like yes I'll help I'll help I'll do that I'll do that whatever and then I'm like oh wait what about my stuff um absolutely you have to definitely not forget about yourself you know it's it's amazing to be giving and it's amazing it's so rewarding sometimes but you know I'm sure as you've realized sometimes you know when you're running on empty it's just it's too hard you know And, and and to be able to fully give back to somebody you have to give to yourself yeah, absolutely. I mean, that to be the best for someone else, you have to be the best for you. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. So you and I talked separately about the misconception that it never gets better. How has this conception affected you personally? Hmm. Um, in the heart of my struggles, I truly felt like it would never get better. I feel like that's what depression and, you know, mental illness does to you. Um, I thought I would never get out of it and that I would never love anybody again. Um, And I am so thankful that I realized that's not true. You just, you have to be careful though, because people can often assume the opposite of that, which is that once you decide to commit to recovery, it just instantly gets better and it's only upward. But that is just not true. Healing is not linear. Um, Some days are definitely worse than others, but that is a part of the process. If you think about it this way, you didn't become the way that you are overnight. So you cannot expect yourself to change overnight either. If you keep fighting and pushing forward, with time, things will get better, though. So I would like to emphasize that, of course. Yeah, and I mean, that's, you're saying so much that is so good to remember. Um, and, like, your experiences have led you to know so much and um, have so many things that are so beneficial that people need to know. Um, and so I'm really glad that you're able to speak on this. Um, since your loss, you've wanted to find a greater purpose. Living your life to the fullest daily while you're always helping others is a big part of your mission. Do you ever feel that you're not helping yourself enough? That is a really good question. Um, I think everyone needs to keep in mind that you cannot truly help others to your fullest ability if you're not helping yourself and taking care of yourself, as we just talked about. Um, within the specific field that I am in, there is a really high burnout rate for that reason. Um, Helping and giving to others day in and day out can be rewarding but exhausting. Everyone has a slightly different way that they take care of themselves and that's really important. You have to be able to separate yourself from work and engage in activities that make you happy and and recharge you. I am still working on finding the balance that is right for me and I think I will always be trying to find that balance throughout my life. Um, I have to remind myself to slow down sometimes and set boundaries and limitations with others. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad friend or a bad person. It just means that I'm human and I have these boundaries, you know, that I can't cross. And that even comes to school and things. It's like, sometimes I just have to go to bed and sometimes I just have to say no, even if I don't want to. So I think that's really important um, for everyone to keep in mind is that you can't just always say yes to everything. Sometimes you have to take a minute for yourself and, you know, we all cope in different ways. Um, I'm an animal lover. I have surrounded by animals. You know, I like to go out in nature and be outside, but it's different for everybody. You know, people have different ways that things that make them happy and I think we all have to find our our coping skills that work for us and I think that's really important in life whether you're struggling with something deep or not um, we all have to have you know healthy coping skills for life yeah absolutely and I know I talk a lot about 
you know, just like taking time for yourself, whether you're a girl and you're doing a face mask and you're just hanging out yeah. with your boy and you're playing sports outside or whatever it is, just like taking time for whatever like you love and just relaxing. And like, sometimes I just have to put the phone away and be like, okay, absolutely. Yes. Time. Like, Disconnect. Always on my phone. Everyone knows it. Like I'm the person you can reach out to because I'm always on my phone. But sometimes that's not beneficial to myself because I need to be working on something. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, let me just go help this person. Let me go help this person. Let me go, right. let me go do that. And um, it can be anxiety provoking, you know, to constantly be, you know, we live in this day and age where technology is so prevalent. And, you know, it does help for a lot of reasons, but it's also very detrimental in that we're used to this instant fast. Everything is right and at our fingertips. Everything has to happen right away. We've lost the sense of patience. We lost the sense of waiting as a generation, right? And I think sometimes just forcing yourself to just have a quiet mind, right? Not be looking at something else or distracting yourself, being with your thoughts, you know, acknowledging them as they come. It's all super important to growing and being healthy, right? It's to just sometimes just be with your thoughts. It's really hard. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I don't want to do it, but we have to. It's it's really important. It's really healing to, to just like let your, yes. feel your emotions and like, go through it because the only way to get out of it is to go through it and I know a lot of people want to just skip over it ignore it yeah but it will find its way to creep in yeah and you're just pushing it all down and like over time it just all comes back up at once and then Mm -hmm. you're you're harming yourself so yes so much because you've been pushing off these things for who knows how long Um, yeah you can definitely misplace a lot of um emotion if you don't allow yourself to feel things as they come up um and you'll explode on somebody or for something that seems minuscule because you were holding things in for too long. And I think that's really common amongst people, especially guys, is this idea that like you can't acknowledge that you don't feel good or that, you know, something happened and then you explode over something that seems like it's not a big deal. And people are like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with them? But you definitely have to like keep in mind that it stems from something else. And if we don't allow ourselves to be human and have emotions it will come back up in certain ways that are not healthy. Yeah, and it does when we do this, right? Um, so how have your experiences affected your decisions to this day on a day-to-day basis? Um, I think that they have fully affected my decisions in many different ways and in ways that I'll never be able to fully understand. But I see it when it comes to my relationships the most. I have a lot of relationship anxieties with significant others, friends, and family. Um, I think because of that traumatic experience that I went through with Max and also the trauma before that, um, I have a really hard time trusting. My first relationship after Max was one of the hardest things I ever did. Um, just learning to trust in somebody else again and trying not to put my problems from my past relationship onto that person was incredibly difficult. Um, I even feel this with my friends and family since I lost so many at that time. Um, it really put a strain on my relationships with my family, as I mentioned. So I really had to find it within myself to let people back into my world and to stop pushing everybody out. Um, And this took a lot of time and patience for me. Um, And I still struggle with that. And I just will cut people off and um, try to deal with everything alone. And I have to always remind myself that, you know, it's okay and that I do need other people because we all need other people. Yeah, it's so important to have people by our side because at the end of the day it is just us but those are the people that are really getting you through it all in the end absolutely so it's really important that's really important um when you fall off track sometimes what do you do to remind yourself that it's all going to work out um I reach out to my people so I'll reach out to my therapist my doctor my parents my friends um my circle of people has definitely shrunk considerably since everything happened but this is honestly the best thing for me not everyone deserves to be in the innermost part of your life and to know everything about your life you know not everybody is there for the right reasons um I used to isolate myself a lot and get into moods where I would shut myself in my room and I just have to remind myself that I'm not alone and that there are people out there but they can't read my mind I think we often assume oh like they should reach out to me they should talk to me but people have no way to know what you're going through unless you voice it So I have to remind myself people can't read my mind and that if I need something, I need to ask um, and reach out. And so, as I mentioned before, as people and as humans, we need other people and that's okay. Um, It's, of course, your most important relationship is with yourself, but we're, as a species, we're not meant to be alone. We 
cohabitate and we do all these things for a reason because we need other people. We're social beings. Yeah, absolutely. How have you celebrated Max and has it helped you heal? Um, On the first anniversary of his passing, I got to be in the Bay Area with his family and my best friend, Joelle. Um, We had a nice service at the cemetery that was obviously very emotional. Um, And being surrounded by those who understood my grief was very important, especially at that time. Um, Since I can't just make it to the Bay Area often anymore, um, every year I go to Seal Beach, which is a beach close to where I'm at. Um, Max did hate the beach, but when he found out that I loved it, he told me he would learn to like it, um, which is just a testament to how much he loved me. But during treatment, we were taken to Seal Beach as an outing one weekend. Um, And so I spent time with him there. And I remember he was like, oh, this is a really nice beach. Um, and if you've never been there, it's an incredibly charming and quaint little town, and it's a lot quieter than most beaches in SoCal. So I go there every year, and I bring photos of him with me, and I spend time sharing memories, um, and this has helped me to honor him and to feel close to him still, and this is a really important uh, important part of the grieving process, um, especially since I am far away from the people that knew and loved him for the most part. I think for myself, and to honor that part of myself, and to not push it away, um, doing this every year on uh, the anniversary of his passing and also on his birthday and special holidays it's really important to just share memory um, even if the people around me didn't know him and just you know take some time to talk to him and I still talk to him to this day every so often throughout the day or if something happens or like some little sign will happen like to me throughout the day I will just you know speak to him you know like he's there and that he's listening and Um, I think that really helps me still feel close to him, even though it's been, you know, a number of years since it happened. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. I still do that um, also. And just like kind of if I want to share something or if I did something that I feel like he would enjoy, I'm always like, like, you'd be so happy that I did that or whatever it is and just still try to honor him um, like you you're a little bit far, far away. I'm very far away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, sometimes I would like, just love to go visit his grave or wherever it mm-hmm. is. My aunt. Um, and so I've found ways to honor him here in Washington, but it's Absolutely. still really hard to be so far away from the people that knew him best. Um, it is. It's very point, but no one else around me knew him, um, except for a few mm-hmm. that had met him which is really nice to be like, oh, you know him, you remember him, like, whatever, but it can still be really far, like you said, to be so far away um, when you would like to celebrate his life with the people who spent it with him every day. Absolutely, it was definitely tough, but yeah, I think everybody has to find that, that special way for themselves, you know, and it's a personal thing, once somebody passes away, you know, they're not here, so it becomes about you, you know, and what, and what makes you feel good, and what makes you feel like you're honoring them, right? And so I think I'm really glad that you, you do that and you found ways to do that because that's a really healthy part of grieving is allowing yourself to, to find ways to honor them. Yeah, absolutely. So as a child and now an adult, what resources other than CFD did you use and what gave you inspiration that there was hope? Um, I have been to a lot of therapists, doctors, and programs. I'm going to have um, Lily link them below. Um, so the places that I have been to, nonprofits that I like, the types of, and the type of therapies that I felt worked for me. Okay. Um, they all helped me in different ways and were a part of pieces of my journey as I went through my recovery. And without them, I would not be where I am or who I am. Um, some of my favorite nonprofits are NAMI um, and Toloha. So National Alliance of Mental Illness is NAMI. And then To Write Low on Her Arms is Toloha. And those are really great nonprofits that just inspire and are there to help. Um, so I'll have those linked. And then, as I mentioned, um, I went to the residential and this is important to note, Center for Discovery is now known as Discovery Mood and Anxiety in the program that I specifically went to. Um, and Center for Discovery is now just specifically for eating disorder. It's still a great program. It's just for eating. Um, and then the outpatient programs I did, which I'm sure most people can find in their area, is IOP, which is Intensive Outpatient Program. This is a three time a week, a week for several hours, which is a group and family therapy. Um, and then there's also a partial hospitalization, which is an all day program where you're literally all there all day doing groups with other with other kids and doctors and therapists. And this is normally 
done as a step down after leaving um, a psych hold. And then I did different types of therapy. So I did cognitive therapy, of course, talk therapy. Um, and then I did dialectical behavioral therapy, which was really important for me. It's like more of a coping skills focused um, therapy. And then I did EMDR, which I know it's eye movements, something, something, but it's like a trauma based um, therapy, which is basically, it's a series of eye movements and taps and speaking on trauma and it's able to move your trauma from one part of your brain to another. Um, I also really enjoyed music therapy, art therapy, and then equine therapy, which is horse therapy. So I'll have some links below for you guys to check out as well. But I think you can, most people can find these type of programs in, within their area. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that too. And I'll have that in all of the show notes, everybody. So you can all um, see that. Perfect. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself through all of your experiences? Um, I've learned so much. I've learned that it's okay to be who I am, to be imperfect and flawed, and that having these emotions does not make me crazy or a bad person. I'm human and I have to give myself grace. I learned that I'm stubborn, emotional, and that I love way too hard. I am an all or nothing type of person, but that's okay as long as I use those qualities for good things and give love to the right people and trust that everything will work out eventually. I pride myself on being an independent person, so I as I mentioned before, I have to remind myself that it's okay to need other people sometimes and that it's okay to reach out when I'm struggling. Absolutely, yeah. That is a such a good thing to, like, remember that, like, you can be all of these things and you can still be so great and, like, labels, they don't matter. They don't Absolutely, matter. absolutely. Don't anything. <laughs> Do you have a mentor? And if so, why is their message so important? Um, there have been many people who have inspired me throughout my life, but the most influential would be my therapist from the Center for Discovery. I'm not going to say his name for privacy reasons, but he helped me in more ways than I could ever imagine. Um, I remember when I first met him, I was in such a bad place and I hated him. When I was brought into his office on my first week at the center, I was so mad that they expected me to talk to this older gentleman. I was wondering how I could ever relate to him. The first thing he said to me was, Natalie, why are you so butthurt? And I was horrified. I stormed out and demanded that they give me a new therapist. And they explained to me that he was their most talented therapist and that I could not have a different one. He said he and asked me things I did not want to hear. But to me, this is a sign of a good therapist. And this is the type of therapist that I need. He processed my traumas with me, helped me to understand a lot of my irrational actions. But most of all, he did all of this with tremendous love. He made sure I knew that he was always there for me and that he was always going to be on my side rooting for me. I still talk to him to this day and check in with him often, and I would not be who I am or where I am without him. I truly believe he helped save my life. Yeah, that is so important to have someone who is, like, pushing you and making you kind of face your fears while mm -hmm. they are supporting you and are there for you and are just rooting for you 100%, no matter what they're saying and doing. It's like you said, it was pushing you, and it, it was what exactly what you needed, um, and so you're most yes. grateful for him. He would definitely yeah. not let me bullshit him, and I feel like for some people, they need different types of therapists, right, but I, I didn't need somebody that would just be, like, constantly, like, oh, it's gonna be okay, like, you know, kind of just coddling me, like, that was not what I needed, you know, I needed someone to look at me and, and, and tell me how it is, and tell me straight up, you know, that, that what I was doing was wrong, and that you know, I couldn't live my life this way. And that was, you know, I didn't want to hear it. And I, like I said, I hated him for it at first. But I look back and I realized he was right about everything and that he did exactly what I needed, which was to push me in the right direction. So I will forever be in debt to him. Me and my family literally like love him, worship him, think he is the greatest. <laughs> um, he will always be in such high regard in my family, in my life. That's, that's amazing. And to have someone that you know, like, that you're not even in the program anymore and you can still go back to him is such an amazing thing and probably such a great feeling for you to just be like yes. this person who pushed me so hard and has supported me is still supporting me and is still pushing me so hard even though you're not in this program um anymore which is just such an amazing thing yes definitely what would you want family and friends to know about how they can best support a loved one struggling with depression this is a super important question. Um, when I was going through the deepest part of my struggles, 
people were super afraid to say the wrong thing to me so they just wouldn't say anything at all and that was really detrimental the most important thing to know when a loved one is struggling with things like depression and grief is to make it known that you are there for them offer a listening ear a meal to eat or a shoulder to lean on and also make it known that if they want help finding professionals that can help them in a way that you can't, then you will help them to do the research to find the right fit. It, whether it's driving them to appointments, talking to them afterwards, processing things with them. And it's important to not come from a place of judgment and to acknowledge that this person's feelings are valid. Advice is not always what somebody wants from you. It's easy to say, well, I would have done this or you should have done that. But most of the time, they really just need someone to listen to them and empathize with them and to know that you're truly there for them. And make sure that your words are not empty. I heard this a lot after Max passed away from a lot of people that I wasn't close to that, oh, I'm here for you. And, you know, that was what everyone was commenting and saying on my posts and talking to me about. But none of them actually meant what they said. So if you're going to say those things to somebody, make sure that you mean it and make sure that you're actually going to show up at their doorstep and actually going to call them and actually make sure that they're okay. Um, because obviously actions speak louder than words, but definitely just be there. I know it's scary. You don't want to say the wrong thing, but it's better to say something than nothing at all. That's such an important lesson that I've actually learned so much um, just by starting the podcast. Everyone says you just need to listen. Like you just have to have your ear ready to listen. And I mean, if they ask for advice, you can give it, but they normally just want you to hear them and see them and know that they Mm -hmm. are for something and acknowledge that like there's a person there for them which is such an important and such a big factor in someone's journey to know that they like have someone that they can just speak to and yeah. give you advice or whatever, just to know that like someone is listening. It's so important. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Natalie, thank you so much for speaking with me today and sharing your story with us. Your story is authentic, courageous, and vulnerable. I thank you for being such an inspiration to me and so many others. I'm so thankful that you can share your story with us as well as Max's. Thank you for the great work that you share. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like our listeners to know? Um, I would just like to thank Max's family and my best friend, Joelle, for all that they did to be there for me through those incredibly hard times and to provide me with such hope. And I just want everyone listening to remember that hope is real, help is real, and that everyone's story is important. And also, thank you so much, Lily. I think what you're doing on these podcasts is absolutely amazing. And I applaud you for being such an outstanding person at such a young age. And I just am so thankful to have been here today. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much.